Well, thank you, uh, Andre, for your great, um, great introduction, great part. You know, like the content of what I'm going to cover today is not something that I've been looking forward to. It's very challenging. Um, I've always tried to make sure that I don't shy away from difficult questions and difficult things because I think it's in those places that we, we really find new depth of information and we need to struggle through some of the difficult things. But it would be much nicer if we just left it at uh, Andre's great presentation today and just called it a week. So, uh, But uh, we press on. And um, uh, we are continuing our series through the book of Exodus. And today we're going to cover portions of four chapters. Um, But I want to kind of give you a little recap. If you haven't been here every week, that the first 10 chapters, what we've covered is, you know, we see that the Israelites are oppressed for a 400 year period, not a short period of time, generation after generation after generation They are oppressed. And our story begins with the Pharaoh taking it up a notch and actually, like uh, Andre alluded to, um, slaughtering all of the firstborn children, uh, males um, from the nation of Israel. And this was kind of the point where um, added insult to injury, to say the least. Uh, There was the oppression was at a certain degree, but it came to a fever pitch in this time period when the Pharaoh starts, um, you know, uh, telling everyone that the babies need to be thrown into the Nile River. Um, God responds really to um, the prayers of the people that are crying out for his help and Moses is miraculously saved and God calls Moses to respond and help lead the people out of the slavery and oppression and the difficulty that they're in. Last week we kind of started that uh, conversation about the confrontation between Moses and the new Pharaoh and the new Pharaoh also uh, when given opportunity to say Hey, ease up, let the people sacrifice, let the people worship God. He ups the ante and makes it more and more difficult for the Israelites. And so the Pharaoh last week was given nine different warnings, and each of the warnings followed by a plague um, that came upon the people and harmed uh, the uh, the nation of Egypt. And continually the Pharaoh over and over and over again would not relent, and it seems like he kind of even digs in his heels more and more. And so there's one last confrontation that is um, uh, that what we're going to talk about right now, the final plague. So um, Exodus chapter 10, verse 28, um, after Moses um, uh, confronts the Pharaoh for the ninth time, um, It says this, the Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. And, you know, I think we have to approach this understanding all the context, all the leading up, the 400 years that precede this to bring it to this moment in time and, and realize 
that this is one of the biggest, most obvious pictures of something that we know that is a theme throughout all of Scripture that we all have to understand and recognize, but sometimes we minimize, is the truth that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And that's what, how Romans and how Paul puts it. He says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. It's, it's a profound thing, but it's something that we can't miss. Sometimes in our culture, in our world, we kind of, you know, minimize the effects of sin. We kind of say, you know what, that was, you know, that was a mistake. I misspoke or that was a, that was a misstep. These kinds of kind of terminology when we think about these things. And sometimes we even play off sin and say like, you know what, everybody sins no big deal. You know, we're all in the same boat. Nobody's perfect. And we kind of brush these things off sometimes in this way. The scripture is consistent throughout. The wages, the consequence of sin is death, is destruction, is in some way that hopefully you can wrap your head uh, minds around that the, the scripture kind of kind of gives us a picture of sin being something that destroys almost the fabric of the universe. I know this is getting a little Star Warsy uh, feeling, but it really it's the picture in scripture is that what God created is good, and sin pokes holes in and destroys and disrupts God's plan. And it's destructive to the point that it ultimately ends in our doom and our demise and our death. And this is the reality of our world. Sometimes we are funny in how we, how we deal with the reality of our world is that, you know, we will look at maybe someone who is... Um, who is maybe in their, their 20s or 30s and they get sick and maybe passes away and we say, that is not fair. They're young. They should have lived longer. And somebody maybe that goes 70s and 80s, we don't say the same thing. And, and that's, that's an interesting, it's an interesting kind of scale that we have. We have a scale that kind of judges based on what we expect the consequences of sin to be. And there's a reasonable expectation sometimes we have where we say, okay, 80 years, all right, we're okay with that. That somebody dies, you know, in their 80s if, you know, it's, it's not too terrible of a situation. Sure, it's sad and we will shed a tear. But 20s, 30s, lower than that, that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. And it's a, so it's an interesting way that we skew our mind is we have kind of this perception about how uh, the wages of sin should like transpire in our life. And we've come up with an acceptable, like reasonable place that we say, okay, I can handle the consequences of this if it is a little bit longer. But we have to understand it from a little bit of a philosophical perspective. And we have to understand it from the scriptural perspective and look for a moment, if possible, um, uh, through the lens of God. That God gives us this picture of our life as a blink of an eye, as a moment in time. A small little piece of the eternal puzzle is this time we spend on this earth. 
And I don't want to in any way by saying that minimize what we're doing here and now. It's significant and it's meaningful and it's important. And God put us here and there's a reason for it. And it's important. Every action and everything that we do is significant and has effects that are long-term beyond this life. But the picture that we have to grasp and we have to come to peace with at some point in time is the wages of sin is death. That there will be ultimate death for all of us. Unless the Lord returns before we die. There will be death that we face. And it may not be when we say 99th birthday when we're blowing out the candles. It may not be. It may be at a different point in time. There are disasters that take place that take people's lives. There are sickness and there is illness. There is car accidents like displayed in Andre's video. There are infants that die before, you know, they take their first breath. There is not a a perfect equal distribution of the consequence of this. We are all in the middle of the fact that the wages of sin is death. That is the world we're in. And this is a hard thing to to grasp. It's a hard thing to, to accept. But it is the world that the, that the scripture gives us. And it is the reality that the scripture gives us. The time period that we're in right here uh, in the book of Exodus is particularly violent. Is particularly egregious. 400 years of oppression is particularly difficult. And um, this is the context for which the story comes. And uh, where Pharaoh says, get out of my sight, don't appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. This is, after nine different warnings, this is kind of the statement that he makes that seals the fate for his people and uh, what comes next. So continuing on, we're going to look at the story of the Passover uh, starting in chapter 11, verse 1. This is immediately the response that Moses has when the Pharaoh says, don't ever come back to me. The Lord had said to Moses, so the Lord had already told Moses, this is his response when the Pharaoh rejects it. I will bring one more plague on the Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her hand mill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. They'll be allowed wailing throughout Egypt, worse than that there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me, saying, Go and let all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses, 
Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He would not let the Israelites go out of the country. So this is the warning that is given. This is the picture that is given, and we have to remember all the warnings that preceded this. But like uh, Andre alluded to, it's kind of a mirror image, a picture of how this whole conflict started when all the Israelite firstborn um, uh, are thrown in the Nile. The picture, and it seems like it gets to the point where there is um, uh, nothing else that will... uh, Wake up the Pharaoh to the reality that the oppression cannot continue. And it says that the firstborn of all the Egyptians will die. This is difficult. This is troubling. Okay? This is, this is a challenging thing. And this is a picture that is hard for me to grasp and hard for me to understand. Why would that happen? Um, Let's continue on and read through kind of some of the instructions that are given to the Israelites. And it helps us kind of uh, start to grasp what is is going on here. And so in verse 12, um, they get kind of these detailed instructions on what is supposed to take place. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of the year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with the nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance to what the person will eat. The animals you choose must be one-year-old males without defect. You may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood, put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over fire, along with bitter herbs and the bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat uh, raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head and legs and internal organs. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you're to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On the same night, I'll pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. I'll bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whomever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and one another, one on the seventh day. Do not work on all these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. 
That is all you may do. Celebrate the feast of unleavened bread because it is on this very day. I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for generations to come. So here's, here's the picture. Over and over, they are oppressed. They, many, many hundreds and hundreds of people have died. And this is the final warning that the Pharaoh gets. And there is very specific detailed instructions. And it's saying that this is something that should be remembered. It's something that you should remember often. It's a pillar moment. And that's surprising because, you know, and, and in churches in this era and in this time, I think most often would probably skip over passages like this because it's just, it's so foreign to our world. And, and we don't want to think about that. We don't want to put ourselves in a world with all this violence and all this death. And this is challenging stuff, but it says... And this is maybe one of our errors in our modern culture. It says, remember this. Consecrate it. Do, you know, remember what is going on here. And there's step-by-step instructions that says, you know what? When you bake the bread, no, uh, it has to be unleavened bread because you need to be ready to move. Because you're going you're gonna to have to take off out of Egypt and this is your moment and it's got to be fast. You're going you're gonna to take lamb, a precious lamb, without defect, and this is going to be a sacrifice that you make. And this kind of enters them into the season where sacrifices are a central part of their worship. And he said, you know, this is, you're going to do specific things with the blood. What in the world is going on here? This is like, this is, this is otherworldly stuff that we can't even like comprehend. Eat it in haste. This is how you're supposed to wear your clothes when you eat it. This is what you're supposed to do with the leftovers. This is going to be a lasting ordinance. This is something that will last. It's something that God is saying, this is a, a picture and this is a concept that you will have trouble, I believe, in our world and in their world of grasping. Because it's too, it's too painful to fully understand. This is something you need to like, you need to remember. You need to year after year recognize. And I think ultimately the message is the wages of sin is death. The consequence of sin is death. And there will be death and destruction that follows disobeying God. There will be heartache, death, pain, and difficulty that takes place and transpires. The whole fabric of the universe, in a sense, is irrecoverably, I can't say that word, harmed. Did you catch it, even though I can't say it? Um, When we sin. And it destroys everything. And it's awful. And it's terrible. And you can't forget. It didn't like what I was saying. Um, so a lot of times what we, um, what we do is we want to think that, you know, sin will not, 
necessarily harm us, that if we're generally good, we are okay. That if we, if the scale is kind of, we're better than most, a little above average, we are all set. But the picture in scripture is that the consequences of sin is complete and total death. You cannot exist and you cannot have salvation and you cannot exist uh, beyond this life without God. God is the I am that created everything in the beginning, and God is the I am that sustains everything in the afterlife. And if you try to do it on your own, there is absolutely no hope. Salvation is only found through God. Our life can only be sustained through God. That's it. Every single person, the sin that we've committed leads to death. And every single person is damned in that sin without God's intervention. And so it would be simpler and easier to, you know, just kind of say, hey, you know what, guys, guys, cut it out. Cut it out, Pharaoh. Stop it. Stop doing that stuff. It's not good for you. But ultimately, this story is, is one of the most, is the most cataclysmic moments in the Old Testament where it becomes Purely and completely evident that the consequences of sin is death. And we know this to be true in our world too. And, and, and I don't want to you know, directly connect these things, but there is death, there is destruction, there is war. There are hundreds and millions of people who die through these things and they are completely innocent. And these are also other consequences of sin. And this is part of our world. This story in particularly is difficult. There's no question about that. But there, this is not just for this time and place. This is something we still deal with in our time and in our culture and in our world. There are tsunamis, there are tornadoes, there are famines, there are death, and those people are not directly um, guilty of something that causes that. But they are in this world. And sin does equal death. And so the people are given a picture. And they are particularly supposed to uh, remember this and do actions that remind them of this. And even later in chapter 13, there's kind of like this refrain over and over. 13 verse 3, Moses said to the people, commemorate this day. The day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. And then later in verse 9, this observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on the lips, on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time year after year. So there's several lessons through the Passover, and it's something that is a major theme in Scripture. And it's something that we probably neglect because it's painful to talk about. But there's several lessons in Scripture, uh, in the Passover. Is Number one, God is all-powerful. God will make sure that his ultimate will comes to pass in this world. And he made a promise to the Israelites that they would um, reach 
a promised land, that they would be the line that, that produces Jesus, that would bring hope and salvation to the entire world. God intervenes in a very desperate, difficult situation to ensure that this story continues on. Again, and I mentioned it last week, it's my belief that I always default towards God allows things to play out as humans choose for the most part, but there are moments in time where God intervenes to preserve and allow people to have opportunity for these salvation moments. And don't be mistaken, this is a huge salvation moment in the scripture where these people are spared from their slavery. So God is all-powerful, and ultimately God's story, God's plan for this world will come to pass. Secondly, and we talked about it in detail, that sin is destructive, and it needs to be remedied and dealt with at some point in time. However painful and difficult this may seem, the reality is sin is destructive. It's not the ideal. It would always be the ideal just to say, hey, everybody, be nice and listen to each other. Stop killing each other. Stop it. But there are moments in time where that is not sufficient and sin has to be dealt with in an ultimate way like this. But number three is that life and death are in God's hands, not our hands. And that's what we have to realize. And that's how I reconcile this personally. Let me explain kind of how I personally deal with this and my personal philosophy is I uh, in every way what I try to do is follow the principles that Jesus outlined for me personally which is be a person of peace when somebody insults me I try to respond to them with love I try to respond to evil with love and that is my personal default that I strive for that I don't always accomplish but I strive for and my personal default would be to try to respond in kind to the evil that is going on around me, knowing that sometimes that is a very difficult challenge to do and a, and a hard thing to do. But God is in a different category. God is the creator of life. God is the one who started and initiated all of it. And for us to apply the same standard to God would be problematic. For us to say, God... You can't do this in this situation because, you know, like if I, if I took matters into my own hands and like killed people, that would be sinful. So this is like something I apply to you. God is the author of life and God ultimately has said that your consequence of sin will be death and ultimately has given all of us a limit on this life. And God is the only one that can appropriately uh, give life and give death. That God is the only one that can do that. Another analogy to this is uh, I can never judge somebody's relationship with God. I can't. I can make an assessment. I can help people. I can guide people. But ultimately, in the end, we cannot say if somebody has a relationship with God or not. God is the judge for that because God is the only one that can be the judge for that. God is in a different category from our actions. And so God ultimately holds life and death in his hands and is the only one that can appropriately do so. Is the only one that can, that can handle that job and be thankful that that is not our world or our 
you know, our responsibility. But the truth is there will be a day where everyone, I believe, will stand before God and give an account for their life. And God is the one that will make that judgment. God is the one that will judge us for those things. And God is ultimately the one that gives every one of us a chance at life, which is a gift that we didn't earn. It's by God's will. And ultimately is the one that holds death and allows death to take place and transpire. There is a difference in there, that, from the way that we can look at and evaluate the world. But this is what God does. He is the I am. And then another lesson that we have to remember is it is only by grace that all of us are saved. It is only by God's grace that we, too, escape the consequences of our sin. It is only by God's grace. And we have to grasp and we have to see the amazing pictures here that I don't believe are in any way coincidence, like Andre spoke of, is that this is the picture of salvation that transpires and gets fully developed through the person of Jesus Christ. You see here that the faultless, um, the faultless children who die ultimately are the ones that help redeem the nation of Israel and how sad. And these children, without question, I believe, are in God's hands for eternity. And we see how it plays out with Jesus. The faultless son dies upon the cross. And the pictures that Jesus gives are very specific and very clear. You see, the disciples gather for the Last Supper is kind of how we describe it because we don't get into this stuff very much sometimes. They're gathering for a Passover meal. You understand that. The Last Supper was a Passover meal. They were observing it as commanded in this passage of Scripture. They were eating unleavened bread. And they were going around and remembering and recognizing the salvation that was brought to them and the death that it took in order to be redeemed and to be saved. And Jesus took the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And he, and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Take and drink in remembrance of me. And so today in our modern churches, we typically don't recognize or think about Passover maybe as much as we should. There's many churches that recognize and celebrate Passover in this specific way. Instead, we recognize the Lord's Supper, the real, true, ultimate fulfillment of salvation that comes to us. But we are the same, that it's death that gives us that opportunity for salvation. And this is the picture throughout Scripture over and over from beginning of book to end of book. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It is a challenging thing, but each of us, just like this passage tells us, should probably commemorate this day and remember.
it's not just, you know, petty little things that we all are involved with or we've done. The wages of sin is death. The picture of that is destructive. And if you look around the world and see all the pain and death and destruction, that is the consequence of sin. And ultimately, in the end, God will put an end to that. God will stop that. There will be a day of judgment. And there is salvation that is open and available to all of us. But the reality is that the wages of sin is death is a truth that is spoken all throughout Scripture. And it is the, the truth that is played out to us over and over throughout these salvation stories in the Old Testament and the ones that we have today. The ultimate fulfillment through the person of Jesus Christ. But don't be fooled. We live in a world where sin reigns. And sin will get us. And sin is a present reality and a part of our life. And we can respond like Pharaoh. Says, get out of my face. I won't relent. No, I'm not going to like deal with the fact that God is in control. I'm going to manipulate all this situation. I'm going to do all that. Or you can humbly recognize the consequences of this and cry out to the I am of I am's that is the author of life and the author of death and created all of us and say, God, save me. Save me from this world. Our life is but a blink. It's a fading mist. It's a small picture of the eternal. And there's a bigger story that is going on here. Something that God allowed these people to suffer and struggle through for over 400 years, multiple generations. But ultimately, God will set it right in the end. Will you pray with me? God, we come to you, and this is uh, troubling and difficult and hard truth. And I don't fully grasp or understand exactly what's going on in these passages of Scripture. It just doesn't all make sense. And sometimes my life doesn't all make sense. But God, I cry out to you. And I say, God... I trust you more than I trust myself that you have something bigger in mind. That your salvation is playing out. Even in a world that is ruled by sin. So God, forgive me and help me. Help me to recognize the devastating consequences of sin. Help me to recognize this world is destroyed and marred by human will help us instead to follow you God you are the author of life and you are the author of death you hold this universe in your hands you are in total and complete control so with our limited wisdom and limited understanding and our inability to comprehend all these things we turn to you and ask for grace
right now in these moments, I invite you just to confess your sins to God. It's not a small thing. Sin is not small. And say, God, save me. Forgive me. Heal me. And maybe look toward something more than just your time on this earth. Look toward something bigger and greater that God is doing. Heaven. Eternal life. 